You know, one of the genres that I love to read is what's called travel essay. So it's books not about being in a place, but about the act of travel, the act of getting there, the the actual journey. And one of the books I read a long time ago that really had an impact on me was a really interesting book by a guy named Stephen Newman. And the book is called World Walk. So here's the synopsis of it, and this will lead us into today's episode. Stephen Newman was a journalist, I think in Ohio somewhere back in the 80s. And one of his jobs as sort of the junior guy was to pull the stories that came in from the big news feeds, you know, Associated Press and United Press International and so on, and decide which stories were going to go in the local newspaper and then format them and get them ready. Well, doing this every day, looking at the news, he came to believe that the world had become kind of a really ugly place with lots of despots and evil people running things. And the truth is that in his heart of hearts, he didn't believe that. He thought the world was still a pretty good, kind place. And he decided to go find out for himself. So he quit his job. He took some money that he had in the bank, not very much, and he left. And for the next five years, he proceeded to literally walk around the world. And when he got back, he came back with the absolute belief and understanding that, in fact, he was correct. The world is actually a very kind, good place. And yes, you know, there are bad people everywhere that you're going to run into, but they do not represent the bulk of the people on the planet. So obviously, he couldn't walk across the oceans. He's not that good. But he flew across the Atlantic at the beginning of the trip, and he made his way to London, and he's sitting in a park in London waiting for some camping gear to arrive in about a week or a week and a half so that he can get on his journey. And he's sitting there now questioning himself, what have I done? You know, I've flown halfway around the world and I'm going to go on a five-year walk. Are you crazy? Well, he's sitting on a park bench in a park and this little old lady sits down next to him and they start chatting and, you know, she asks, what are you doing? And he explains to her and she thinks that's pretty cool. And she says, well, look, I know you're waiting for stuff to arrive for your trip. I've got an idea. I'm a widow. I live in a big rambling house by myself. It needs a little bit of work. If you'd be willing to do a little bit of sort of, you know, minor repair and painting and stuff for me, I'd be glad to give you room and board while you're here. And he did. And those kinds of things happened to him everywhere he went. In fact, he came home with most of the money that he left with still in his pocket. About Four and a half, almost five years later, he's close to the end of his trip. He is walking from the top of Australia to the bottom of Australia. So if you know anything about Australia, you know that the center of the country is pretty empty. There's very little there in the way of of communities and cities and towns and so on. So he's quite a ways south of Irish Rock, Uluru, crossing the Red Desert, just walking along. And here comes his pickup truck. And it's got two guys in it, and they kind of make this big sweeping curve around him, and they kind of look out the window at him as they go by, wondering, what is this crazy man doing walking across the desert? And they make a big swoop, and they come back, and they say, you know, are you okay? And he says, yeah, I'm just on a hike. And they say, okay, would you like a ride? We're going south. They said, that'd be great. So he throws his backpack in the back of the little pickup truck, and he squeezes into this little tiny pickup with these two guys, and they take off. Well, they haven't introduced themselves yet. And all of a sudden, the driver leans forward and looks over at him and says to him, you're Stephen Newman, aren't you? 
Well, that was shocking, but, you know, he started his trip almost five years before. He's filed a few stories along the way in newspapers telling about it. So it's, you know, it's certainly conceivable that the guy read an article and he goes, yeah, I, I, I am. How did you know that? And the guy got a huge grin on his face and he said, you stayed with my mother in London. Now, that's a great story. And it turns out, it turns out that there's a name for this phenomenon, it's called synchronicity, and my friend and colleague Tom Myers knows all about it. In fact, he did his doctoral research on synchronicity, so I asked him, what is it? Synchronicity is essentially a coming together or falling together in time. So derived from two words of sync, of a coming or meshing together, and chronos, the Greek word for time. So effectively, and, and as a definition, things coming together in time. And how we define that was back in oh, the late 20s, 1928 or so, um, Swiss psychologist Carl Gustav Jung was first thinking about this in terms of what his working with his patients as a, as a psychiatrist and psychologist and working with um, their different neuroses and psychoses. And he, he kept having these situations and stories of people having happen chance, or if you will, meaningful coincidences that kept kept occurring in a series. So I'll, I'll give you some more definition or examples of that. Maybe start now. It's when your inner psyche of what you're thinking about internally matches in time with a manifestation in the physical world. An example, and this is the you know very base, very easy example to think about as you are thinking about someone and lo and behold, like I got to call Steve. I got to give that guy a call. And you look down on your phone and there's Steve calling you at that very moment. I was just thinking about you. Okay. So the internal, your internal psyche matches with something that's happening in the external world. Additionally, synchronicity can come in a series. It may be one-off. It may be just to happen. Hey, this is a great coincidence, great opportunity, Steve, that you know, I was just thinking about you. But there are, are a series of events that keep happening that are interrelated. It also might be external forces that come to you or external information that comes to you as you're writing your novel and you need a, a quote. You're thinking, how am I going to make this transition from this part to the next? And lo and behold, you look on your computer, you look down at the title of a book, and there it is. So it, we say the universe can be a capital U. <laughs> Certainly there's some spiritual connections here, and we'll get into that a little bit and define that a little bit more. But you know, again, what are the messages that you're receiving from the external world that you then can use for your internal applications. So it happened that Carl Jung had been thinking about this and writing about it, but not publishing, not going public with this. And he felt he was rather self-conscious of thinking that he might be a little wacky, might be a little out there. And, and, and his colleagues and peers may think that he's kind of gone off the deep end. Okay, And it wasn't until he met Wolfgang Pauli who is the, known as the, the, the father of quantum physics and quantum mechanics. And Pauli was actually a patient of, of Jung's. So that's how they, they met. And Jung explaining this dilemma of, you know, again, is this real science or is this pseudoscience? And Pauli then said, well, you know, there are 
quantum physics applications to this that can explain, help to explain in theory, help to explain how these incidences are coming together. And so it was then that Jung and Pauli went off to publish the first research around synchronicity. And what's interesting is, lo and behold, all of his other peers and scientists in the world then thanked Jung for coming forward and said, you know, I've been thinking the same thing. I just, you know, thinking of the same kind of crazy instances that are externally coming to me and, you know, these, these manifestations, but I didn't want to be the first to write about it. So thank you for doing that. And then opened up the kind of the, the pathway for more research, more discussion around this. Now, some would probably argue that this is nothing more than, I don't know, a happy coincidence or serendipity or a random occurrence. So I asked Tom about that. And oftentimes it's interchangeable. Sometimes people see it as synonymous. Serendipity has really come to prominence um, in the areas of science. And so things that happen as they, as it might be a happy, um, a happy coincidence or a happy incident, the inventions that have come about because of serendipity. So if you look at the, the definition, one would say it's a unplanned fortunate discovery and it's now serendipity is a common occurrence throughout the history of product invention and scientific discovery. It comes from the, the term uh, the princes of serendip, which is, is known as Sri Lanka, modern day Sri Lanka. But these princes were doing these amazing you know, areas of alchemy and discovery through kind of happen chance discoveries. And so that was, again, the lore and that was, you know, written about. So that's where the term serendipity comes from. And um, examples, really funny examples of penicillin, you know, how penicillin came about. And I can name a number of different scientific, you say, you know, discoveries, but it's a, it's a just happen chance where you're looking to discover one thing and a byproduct of that comes out as maybe even more important. So the post-it note, silly putty, the microwave oven, the popsicle polymer Teflon, as I said, antibiotic penicillin, LSD. And now we're hearing so many incredible benefits and the applications of, uh, of using LSD and different mind-altering drugs for trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, a number of different maladies. But again, it was, it was formed by chemist Al, uh, Albert Hoffman in 1943, um, who absorbed it through his skin, he thinks, you know, as he was playing with that. So there's a whole host of different examples, but serendipity can be seen as kind of that one-off scientific happy occurrence. Synchronicity can then be seen as more personal. Synchronicity can be ongoing and create meaning for that, for that individual in longer term. And part of synchronicity is identifying and being able to actively use these patterns when you're following a synchronistic event that's going to you feel emotionally it's going to help you 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 kind of know you're on the right path other folks have said and i in my research have used the green light metaphor you just keep getting green lights you're going down this path i don't know where it's going to lead this this green light is showing me the right way all of a sudden i hit a red light, detour, right? Or a yellow light, caution. You may go down the wrong path and you really feel like I am going down this wrong path. It's just 
things become difficult to, you know, to endure, become difficult and more arduous. So you kind of redirect yourself back following this feeling down the right path. Again, it's, it's, it's following those green lights that bring, it's, it's telling you and the world beyond is telling you to follow through with this. Okay. So what do I do with this? You know, it's one thing to be aware of a phenomenon like synchronicity. It's another thing entirely to put it to use. So often we as human beings just don't want to trust our gut or intuition, you know, and, you know, all my research is that those folks who were very left brain focused and they wanted to have their lives planned and they had everything, you know, expecting to work out just right. It only took them so far and that they found they really needed to kind of trust their their intuition more. And what's I love the book written by Malcolm Gladwell, Blink, and how much of our senses that we can pick up, not just cognitively in our, our, our sight and, and kind of rationally thinking about things, but what our bodies and intuition and sense, again, through vibration, through you know many different energy levels that we can talk about too, that you can pick up on a hunch or an intuition that you feel in your gut. And it's that we can take in so much more information and decipher and discern this information for our brain can, can kind of realize that, you know, this is the way to go. So it's kind of following that intuition and following, following that gut. As I listened to Tom, a thought occurred to me. What we're really seeing here is a repeating pattern that catches our attention. The dawn of human beings have relied on patterns. We've relied on that as part of survival. You know, if you're hunting, hunting, gathering, fishing, whatever you might be, you're looking at patterns of, of nature. You know, when is the right time to fish? When is the right time to hunt? When is the right time to plant? And so harvest. We are predetermined or, per, or genetically imbued to kind of understand patterns. It creates a, a comfort for us to see a pattern. So you become obviously more attuned if you continually hear or you're continually focused on this bit of information that you need. As part of survival, we need to focus on, on information. So if you hear a pattern of, of information that's going to help you that keeps coming, and when you least expect it, this information is also coming to you when you're maybe not even looking for it, but you have attuned and heightened your senses and your neural pathways to be able to attune to these things. So it, it again, creates comfort. It makes some meaning, but we're comfortable with, with patterns and routines and things such like that. Now, when Tom first told me about his research, I found the concept of synchronicity really interesting. It was different from other fields that I had studied in the world of hard science, but there was clearly something to it. And then Tom actually tied it to hard science, specifically quantum physics. Yeah. So in a very, very basic fundamental sense is that we're looking at kind of that wave particle duality and that matter and energy and energy in the form of waves. So in a, in a real elementary sense is that we are energy. Everything in the world has an energy and a movement to it. So there are like energies that can attract. Again, from the quantum physics standpoint of particles that can synchronize light years away. And if you're looking at all the, and we're talking about subatomic particles, 
So, and, and what's interesting is scientists understand the concepts of the physics, but oftentimes they don't understand how these separated elements communicate. So as we as human beings are energy and wave particle force, can we and are we theoretically able to attract like energy and particles when it's needed or as a sense of consciousness of understanding these things? So there's you know, a number of different theories, quantum mechanical theories that explain this. Three primarily are the wave-particle duality, which I just talked about. Uh, matter and particles can behave like waves and vice versa, can also be localized at the same time. The Heisenberg uncertainty theory, that we cannot know both position and speed of a particle at the same time, such as a proton or electron with perfect accuracy. More we dial in particles position, the less we know about its speed and vice versa. So that, that uncertainty principle. And then the quantum entanglement piece, this counterintuitive phenomenon of subatomic particles that become linked to each other, again, as I mentioned, light, you know, billions light, light years away. And um, this, is the, this is the area where Einstein said spooky action at a distance. So what's, what's really interesting is they don't know how a lot of these particles do communicate. But it doesn't end there. Tom then dove down yet another rabbit hole. This one about wisdom, but it's not what you think. Ancient wisdoms, very old philosophical, metaphysical thinking, the I Ching and Taoism and Eastern philosophies, which is thinking about oneness and thinking about harmony. And the way I like to think about it when talking about synchronicity is the comprehension that everything is connected. Again, back to that wave particle energy, everything gives off an energy. But if you can think that we all are connected in some way, shape or form, be it through, you know, quantum physics side, through a spiritual divine side. But if you know that everything is connected on this earth and, and beyond, that helps to give some clarity about, you know, meeting the right people at the right time and things happening in your life for the right reason because of this oneness and this harmony and this, and this connection. So the beauty of synchronicity in, in my personal view is that it can be defined however you individually are comfortable defining that, be it on the scientific side and the quantum mechanics and quantum physics theories or psychological side and even into the, the spiritual realm. So many years ago, my best friend, Dennis, uh, who is a multi-level black belt in Taekwondo, he's been doing it for many, many years. I asked him a question. I said, you know, in my travels, this is back when I was doing a lot of work in some somewhat questionable places. I said, in, you know, in my travels, I spend a lot of time in places where, you know, things could get a little bit dicey. Are there things you could teach me as a master in Taekwondo that would just give me enough self-defense skill to be able to get away from somebody if I found myself in an ugly situation. It never happened, but you know, it was an interesting question. He said, of course I can, but before I do that, I want you to read a book. The book is called The Gift of Fear, and it's by a guy named Gavin DeBecker. DeBecker is a consultant who works with organizations like SEAL teams and Delta Force and so on, 
to teach them to pay attention to what they're feeling as an indicator of any potential danger or hazard they may find themselves in. Basically what the book says, if your gut tells you that what you're walking into is a bad situation, turn around and walk away. Trust your instinct. Trust your gut. That's the message in the story. It was a fabulous read. So if synchronicity is real and if it has power, for lack of a better term, how do we bring it into our lives and make it personal? Yeah, and that's exactly when I wrote this research and did my doctoral dissertation on this. It was the application. I wanted to know how do you identify synchronicity in your life? What are the signs? What are the symbols? What are those that information that you receive? Now, how do you use that and how do you enhance more of it? What can you do to create more of this in my life? And I think for me personally, from a very young age, I didn't have a definition for it, but I just thought, wow, I'm just in these situations that kind of are beyond statistical application of how can I be meeting these people or these things happening at the right, you know, I'm at the right place at the right time. So I wanted to be able to dig into that further, look at both the psychological and the physical side to it, but also extensive interviews and focus groups and recording the themes that came up for people when talking about synchronicity. Interesting, as you can imagine, Steve, every interview that I had done, many, many interviews, I expected, oh, I had, had um, accounted for about a half an hour of conversation. Once you get into a conversation of people's lives and synchronicity experiences, it's difficult to not talk. I mean, everyone lasted an hour and a half. I had oodles of, oodles of qualitative data. So what are those things? What can we do from the work folks, some of the things that people talked about, again, the green lights, you have that emotional sense, you know, you're on the, the right path. People also, our partic participants said, synchronistic events come to them when they're most vulnerable, when they're most open to hearing and tap being sensitive to this information. And oftentimes, if you think from the work of prayer and devotional work with God, we'll say as a monotheistic God, that this is a way that prayers are answered. When you're at a point where you don't know your next step, you're just going to give in. Then lo and behold, you have all these incredible resources that start to come to you at that right time. But you have to be vulnerable. The other piece that's just so vitally important too, you have to cut out the noise. We in our modern world is just, we're just so surrounded by the drive to work the you know the traffic you know the sounds of everything and the and the the external influences so it's how do you tap into let's say a meditative state or a quiet state and however that works for individuals be it you know a walk in the woods you know exercise quiet time in the morning going inward that's the simplest way to say it. It's just going inward and begin to listen to the signs, listen to the nudges, the hunches, the whispers, if you will, or the God wink, as they, they say, and follow that. You know, you'll have an intuitive sense. It just feels right. In my research, in my interviews, people say, I don't know why I followed down this path. It just felt right. Conversely, we can say, Listen to the negative sense. If you're getting negative vibes, you're getting negative hunches or negative intuition, 
your your brain is going to try to override that. No, no, no. I'm gonna. I know what's best. This is the this is the way to go because logically this makes sense. But listen to the the intuitive sense. Does it make sense? Does it feel right? Number of interviews that I did and research, people just said and just knew it didn't feel right. Everyone externally was telling me this is the best choice you can make to go for this new job. It, they said, it just didn't feel right. You know, and again, they followed that and things worked out for the very, very best in, in another position that they were hired for. Now, I asked Tom how he turned the results of his research into the consulting that he now does with executive audiences. One method doesn't serve all. And what work that I do now is look at who you are as an individual, your personality, your strengths. Okay. And, you know, are you someone who is more introverted versus extroverted? That's going to kind of dictate how you will interact with the world and how, again, it's preference. Where, what is your comfort level? So look at your personality coupled with your strengths that you have an energy, again, back being on the right, right track. When you use your strengths, you create an energy and excitement and an intrinsic motivation. So coupling personality with strengths and what, what I call is the natural genius. Everyone is gifted with genius and it's to find that genius. Now, lay that into the world of synchronicity. When you couple those together, it, it's, it's magic. And it just creates so many new opportunities for people to really realize their best their best selves. So that's something that I'm, I'm very excited about. Okay, Tom, final thoughts? And I think we as humans are looking for more answers. And it may not be that we get our answers through the media or through you know, proven physical science, but that answers can come to us in other ways. And I think we are looking for more meaning in our life. Again, having gone through the pandemic, I think we're looking for more fulfillment, more meaning, individual and collective purpose. You know, synchronicity is a way to understand that it's not all on you, that there are other forces out there, spiritual forces, community forces, other forces that are there to, you know, to connect with and and rely on. My friend and colleague, Dr. Tom Myers, thank you, Tom, for joining me. You can learn more about Tom's synchronicity work by visiting his website, trisyncimpact.com. That's T-R-I-S-Y-N-C impact, one word, dot com. Thank you. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.